Thanks, Alex. If you would, please, please pray with me. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you and we submit our lives to you. We submit our ears to you and our hearts to you, Lord. As your word is preached this morning, may it encourage us where we need encouragement. May it convict us where we need conviction, Lord. And Father, as I attempt to preach your word this morning, will you guard my heart and my mouth to rightly divide your word? And may we bring honor and glory to you and all we say and do. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Good morning. To our guests, my name is Josiah, and I know right out the gate it's already confusing. Monk, Josiah Monk, led the call to worship this morning. I'm not up here again. Um, but I have the privilege and honor to proclaim the word of God to you this morning. And I'm really glad you're here with us as we continue our series in the Thessalon- letters to the Thessalonians that we've called Entrusted with the Gospel. How many of you in here have read Pilgrim's Progress? Wow, that's a lot better than I thought. How many of you at least know what it is, seen the movie, <laughs> or a movie? Um, like many of Paul's letters, actually, it was written from prison. It seems to be a theme. Um, and it carries similar themes, but rather than being the word of God, it is just a story. But in this story, a character named Christian, the pilgrim, is on the path seeking the celestial city. But along the way, he will face many challenges, like the bog of despair, a dragon named Apollyon, Vanity Fair, not to be confused with the magazine, and much more. Christian also encounters other pilgrims along the way. Some are discouraging and distracting from the path that he's on. And real quick... John Bunyan was not creative in naming these people. (laughs) There's a man named Hypocrisy and Formalist. Talkative, he talked too much, and Mistrust. These characters guide Pilgrim and try to direct him away from the path. Others, though, like Evangelist and Faithful and Hopeful, encourage Christian in his journey and set an example in their action to encourage Christian to stay the course and keep his eyes fixed on the celestial city and meet his Savior. In our passage today, we see that Paul's aim or his purpose and his intention for his ministry in Thessalonica was to exhort the Thessalonians to walk in a manner that's worthy of God. But Paul and his team have actually been accused of doing the opposite. They've been accused of trying to take the church down the wrong path. Seeking and, and this claim, this kind of accusation would not have been any more surprising in the first century than it is today in 2021 with televangelists tele- and prosperity preachers who are profiting their ministry for personal gain. And the first century world was very accustomed to these characters. And the church, we as the church, we need to be prepared for the kingdom of the Lord. The church is Christ's bride, and it's Christ's desire that while she, being the church, is prepared to be united with him in eternity, that she be protected and guided on the path to heaven. And the reality is, it's that there are wolves that look like sheep, 
And there are also well-meaning, good-intentioned pastors and believers who still, not knowing the scriptures, will guide believers off the path. Last week, Tim mentioned that this section of Thessalonians is a very common, uh, common pastor's conference passage. And while this ma- message is, appropriately ti- is appropriate and timely and necessary for pastors, it's also important to remind us that we, that the original audience here is the church in Thessalonica. Every believer, every believer in this room, every believer across the world is called to the Great Commission. We are called to make disciples. So every believer is called to be in ministry with their lives. Last week, we heard not a vain message. And this week, we're going to see it's not a vain calling. Over to my left above the missions table, you'll see their mission statement. I can't see it, but it's over there. And it says, every member called, every member involved. As the church, we should hold our ministry leaders, our elders, and ourselves accountable to guide the church on the path that prepares us for heaven. In today's passage from verses 9 through 12, Paul is going to justify his claim to the Thessalonians that he and Silas were affectionately desirous of them. He wants to prove to them that he loves them and that the lies about Paul and his company had rewritten history and that Paul now is going to set the record straight. And he's going to do it not by talking about them, but instead he's going to have the Thessalonians three times remember the manner of their ministry, the character of their ministry, and the purpose of their ministry. And so my prayer and what what I really want us to remember this morning is that the role of every believer in the church, especially pastor elders, is to lead and shepherd each other along the path that God has laid out in scripture to prepare us for eternity. So in the first justification Paul gives being the manner of ministry, Paul's justification for the, legi- the legitimacy of his ministry was his content first and foremost. It was his message. As Tim mentioned last week, Paul did not have a vain message to the Thessalonians. And here in verse nine, he refers to the manner in which the message is delivered as a proclamation of the gospel of God. You see, the proclamation of the gospel of God, it indicates that Paul and his companions are merely heralds, right? Does everyone know what a herald is? Has anyone ever seen a medieval movie? The guy with the frilly hat and the trumpet, he comes in, blows the trumpet and says, hear ye, hear ye, the word of the king, the word of someone else. Paul and his companions are not here sharing the words of Paul. They're not sharing the words of Silas. They're sharing the words of God, a message from God. Tim, Tim, by the way, to our guests, Tim is our lead pastor. You're probably like, who is this Tim guy Josiah keeps referencing? Tim is our lead pastor. He's, unfortunately, he's leading a wedding and can't be here this morning. Tim, Alex, Rick, myself, anyone who steps in this pulpit, we are not here to preach and proclaim our message or our wisdom. We are here to share, we're not here to share our spiritual guidance. We are here to proclaim the gospel of God, the good news. Jared Wilson, an author and pastor, he writes in Gospel Driven Ministry saying this, 
If you are the pastor constantly arguing or posting angry political rants on social media, you are bearing witness to your true hope, which is not Christ. Bear witness to the goodness of Jesus in your online life, not simply your pet theological or political posts, political projects. Treat others with respect and kindness. This can be extended beyond our online presence, right? We have to talk about online presence in 2021. But the reality is, is if we get up here and we just talk about what we care about, what our projects are, we're not doing our duty. We're not proclaiming the word of God. Secondly, Paul points to the hardships and their labor. The hardships is a reference back to Acts 17, excuse me, when Paul's message of the Messiah in Philippi was not received well by the leadership and they had just been beaten and imprisoned. Paul's saying, why would we keep doing this if we keep getting beaten for what we say? Why would we not soften the message? But it wasn't the only the hardships that Paul faced and Paul thought was important to point out. Paul says they weren't money-hungry preachers because they didn't even take any money from the Thessalonians, saying that they labored day and night. As it says in verse 9, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. Paul isn't saying that he literally worked 24 hours a day, but he is making it clear that he worked two jobs. We know from scripture that Paul was a tent maker, but he also was an evangelist. We can understand more context from this in 2 Thessalonians 3.8. He actually goes as far to say, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. I'm going to be completely honest with you guys real quick. I have my wrong notes open. Give me one second. I'm sorry. We'll see if this works. Yep. Because I have a refer- I was realized I needed a reference in there, and I noticed it wasn't there, but I put it in there last night, and I just got confused. Sorry. Thanks, Sheree. (laughs) There we go. Paul worked two jobs, right? He was a marketplace. He had a marketplace job, profession of a tent maker. He had another calling, not another calling. He had another job. Both vocations together fed his calling. Then this isn't to say that Paul never received financial help from other churches, right? We actually know the opposite. He was actually just intentional as to where he would receive that help. Philippians 4.16, not to be confused with Philippians 4.13, he commends the church at Philippi for supporting him while he was in Thessalonica. So he's working a job and he's receiving support from Philippi. So why would Paul bring this up? We have to ask the question. We can't just say, okay, whatever, Paul said it, it's good. But why? Is is this prescriptive? Is Paul saying we shouldn't take money from churches? Or is this descriptive? Is he explaining something that happened? Why did he choose not to take money from the Thessalonians and from other churches? So a good rule, 
Good rule of thumb. Just when you're studying your Bible, it's going to be on the screen with me. I want everyone to say it together. One, two, three. Context is king, right? So if we continue reading in our letters to the Thessalonians, second Thessal- jump to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and look in verse 10 through 12, we'll see that laziness and idleness was actually a problem in the church and potentially in the entire community in Thessalonica. Verse 10 reads, for even when we were with you, we did not give you this command. We would give you this command. Excuse me. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and earn their own living. You see, this comment from Paul is actually packed with double meaning. On the one hand, Paul is refuting the charge that they were preaching with a pretext of greed from verse 5. But also he's pointing to the example of how it looks to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. See, church, it is our Christian duty. It is our Christian charge going all the way back to the Garden of Eden to work, right? When God commanded Adam and Eve to subdue the land, you see, our work is a worthy calling, not because of our job, not because of our title, not because of the community company we work for, not even because of the task at hand. Our work is a worthy calling because we serve a worthy God. No matter how stressful or how high pressure your job is, your success is determined by working unto the Lord. No matter how monotonous or mundane or routine you may feel, and mothers, I'm going to speak especially to you right now. Your job has purpose because you work for a purposeful creator. See, Paul is not going to be a financial burden to the church. And the only way for him to do that was to work night and day. And I think, honestly, definitely for me, and I think I'm speaking to a lot of us in here, when we look at Paul, we sometimes are challenged with, Paul was a bit of a workaholic. He cared a little bit too much about his ministry. Good for him. But I wonder if our idea of work and rest And Sabbath is a little bit too 21st century. You see, I love the Sabbath by playing or watching sports. It is a Sabbath to me if I can hit the golf course. That's not what Sabbath is talking about in Scripture. I want a Sabbath with TV. I just want to check out, scroll social media. I want to eat good food. I want to enjoy pleasure. But that's not what we mean when we see Sabbath in Scripture. That's not the actual rest that our God is speaking about. The only, I do want to throw out one caveat when we look at Paul. 1 Corinthians 7, Paul explains that because of his singleness, he is free to completely dedicate and pour his life in his traveling ministry. He has no responsibility to lead his own. With that said, we need to ask ourselves, what are we working day and night for? Are we working day and night to reach that weekend so that we can enjoy whatever great plans we have? Or are we working night and day for the gospel of God? Philippians 2, 14 through 17 says this, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent 
children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. We were created to bring God glory and to be used by God to point to his glory. Church, we are going to be tired. There's no way around that. We will be. It's a part of life. But we have to ask, tired to what end? Are we tired because we fill up our calendars with every activity possible, seeking pleasure and entertainment? Or are we tired because we're pursuing the proclamation of the kingdom of God? If you're a parent in the room, let's work and labor night and day to raise our children to walk in a manner worthy of God. If you're a single or parents without children, I want to ask you, how is God calling you to use your time for his kingdom in your special season of life? Paul calls it a special calling. If you serve in children's ministry, as Alex said earlier, God bless you. And I pray that you are filled with joy, not only because you love our children, but because you love the Lord and you are doing his work. If you're a community group leader or a support group leader, part of the band, a greeter, prayer ministry, missions team, sound and tech, art and decorations, let's work day and night in everything we do for the glory of God to to proclaim his kingdom. Wherever you are in life, let's know how we can be like hopeful and faithful were on Pilgrim's Progress to point each other to the path of righteousness. The second area Paul calls his readers to is the character or the integrity of their ministry. And more specifically, Paul wants the the call to mind what the Thessalonians actually observed and not just what they're hearing. The characteristics he calls on, he asks to be supported not by just his words, but by what the Thessalonians actually witnessed. This word witness, as many of you know, is an actual legal term. In the ancient law, for a claim to be considered trustworthy, the one making the claim had to bring forward at least two witnesses to the stand, right? Forward. In this situation, Paul calls on the collective Thessalonians, and then he calls on God. The one who knows all and sees all. While Paul asks the Thessalonians to observe their behavior, he holds himself accountable to God, the judge himself. This reference is back to 1 Samuel 16, 7, when Samuel is looking for a king in the house of Jesse. God tells Samuel, do not look on his appearance or height or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Paul is concerned for the heart of their ministry, Right? Paul gives three characteristics regarding their behavior towards the Thessalonians. He says that they were holy, righteous, and blameless. And while there isn't a massive distinction between these three words from a theological or biblical standpoint, he is using them specifically. First, before we jump into the three words, I want to point to the fact that Paul uses all three to show his confidence 
that he and his team of evangelists were guiltless in the charges of how their ministry was towards the Thessalonians. He doesn't justify with any specific actions, but actually calls on the whole body of his work. When Paul says they were holy, holy, the emphasis on how they lived and walked before God, which is the purpose in general of his exhortation toward them. They honored God both publicly and privately. Secondly, righteous. Commentator Leon Morris actually points out that the Greek word for righteous is literally translated as conformity to a norm. And for biblical authors, the norm is the law of God. If you spent any time in our culture, which you all have, you know conformity is not a good word. <laughs> we don't like it. Every, every side of the aisle tells us not to conform. They don't want you to conform to them, conform to they. <laughs> but when we conform to God's law, we're conforming to the way that God created the world. We're becoming who we were created to be. Paul speaks to this in Romans 12, verses 1 through 2. So many of you know. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present yourselves bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this, pattern, to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Church, we are going to conform to something. Hebrews 2 will tell us, be warned lest you drift, right? Stay the course. We are going to conform to something. It is an extremely arrogant and autonomous view of ourselves to think that we are in complete control and we are not influenced. Because that is the case, sticking with the illustration of Pilgrim, it is our responsibility and privilege and duty as fellow believers to encourage one another to stay the course. I ask you, I need you, church, to remind me to stay the course. Remind me of what is at the end with Celestial City when we will see our Jesus face to face. Blameless simply points to the idea that they were above reproach, saying, you don't even have a charge to bring. Let's stop this conversation. We don't need to see this as Paul saying he was completely perfect in his life. He's saying he was perfect in their ministry towards them and his intent in his heart towards serving them. He wasn't after gain. He wasn't after power. He wasn't trying to influence them so more people would say, I follow Paul. He's saying, I want you to know that my intention was that you follow Christ, which is why he actually goes as far in verse uh, 10. He says, um, he says, we, you were witnesses and God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. Paul is trying to tie the fact that they are believers to the message that Paul proclaimed. Our prayer Trinity is not that we would be above reproach just in how we pastor and serve you but also that we would be blameless before God, that by his grace and mercy, we would continue the course. David in Psalm 139, 23, 24 prays this, and this should be a prayer of all of us. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me 
and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We need God to direct us. We need God to convict us. We need God to encourage us, church. We are blind on our own. By God's grace, may we continue. For your, you and your area of ministry, whether it's at home or whether you're serving somewhere in a church and in the church here, what is your motive for ministry? Why do you do what you do? Is it out of compulsion? Do you just feel like you have to do it? Is it so that others see you as a spiritual leader and guide that you're going to help someone along with in your life, so, uh, along in their life so that they may look at you as like, thank God for Alex. <laughs> may that not be the case for any of us. Amen. May we say, thank God for God. Yes. Like Tim, Tim referenced when uh, pastors hearing C.H. Spurgeon preach, we have, Christ is a great savior. Yes. May people say that when we minister to them. Lastly, Paul points to how they taught in verses 11 and to the start of 12, saying, for you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. And let's just pause for a moment and remember that this is a flowing letter. Even though we're starting in verse nine today, the context of this actually includes the fact that Paul referred to himself as a mother previously. Also, the emphasis in this language is that they are like a father with their own children. Paul has a sense of ownership towards them. Today, me as a father, I have a sense of pride in how my children grow up. I'm proud of who they are. And I think there was even a stronger sense of that in ancient Rome from everything I've read. They had a better idea of like, I am proud of my son, proud of my daughter. Paul loves this church. They are like his children. Trinity, on behalf of the elders, it is a joy and a privilege to serve you. I am so encouraged by seeing Josiah Monk up here give the call to worship. I'm encouraged when I hear the band lead. I'm encouraged by the testimony we heard several weeks back from Bobby and the Magnusons. It is an encouragement and it is a pride and a joy to see our God work in you. Thank you for letting us serve you. Lastly, on fatherhood, we want to understand what fatherhood actually meant to a Greek reader. What did it mean to exhort or correct one's own children? The philosopher Plutarch, who actually was like a generation behind Paul, they lived a little bit at the same time, wrote this, A father should not use beatings, but rather reason, exhortation, counsel, and praise of good conduct to instruct his children to follow virtue and shun vices. Paul's speaking to their culture of parenting. That's what he's going after here. He's showing us that he was patient and detailed and would everything, the detail that would go into parenting and likewise the ministry in order that they would walk in a manner worthy of God. Hebrews 10, 24 says to tell us, to con- tells us actually to consider how to stir one and up through love and good works. It is our duty 
as pastors, and it is a privilege as pastors to bring the word of God and exhort you to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, like a father patiently trains his children in church. Let's collectively do the same thing. And our conversations on Wednesday nights in our small groups and coffee with brothers and sisters in Christ, the point of our friendship is to exhort each other to walk with Christ. The last point Paul makes in this portion of scripture is the purpose of their ministry. And it's really been the thrust of the other two points as well. Their purpose or objective isn't money, it's not power, and it's not even that the Thessalonians would follow Paul and Silas. Instead, their objective is that they would walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. The phrase walk in a manner begs the question, what does that look like? And how do we do that? Do we go to church more? Do we swear less? Drink less? Does it mean we tune into the Z on our drive to work? Or does it mean that Rick needs to trade in his cheesy Hallmark movies for cheesy Jesus films? (laughs) Thankfully not. (laughs) Walk in a manner is a very common phrase in scripture, and especially in Paul's writings. So we should look to other passages. We should let scripture interpret scripture here. Ephesians 4.1 tells us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Well, that asks us, what's the calling? And why does Paul always shorthand the calling to these churches? Paul had spent a lot of time with these churches. He had done a lot of teaching, right? He's not writing them as if this is the first time that they've heard any of this language. However, nowhere is it recorded that Paul spent any time in Rome. And it actually sounds like he wanted to go to Rome and spend some time with them prior to writing the book of Romans. And this is likely why the book of Romans is one so long, but it's secondly, why it is such a great exposition of the gospel as a whole. It's a huge collective of the gospel. He goes into great detail, starting at the beginning, why all men is held accountable to, for their sin, all the way through what that process of salvation looks like. In Romans 8, 28 through 30, a very common passage, Paul actually gives a great explanation of what this call is saying, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those who he justified, he also glorified. Those who he called, he justified. And those who he justified, he glorified. When we walk in a manner worthy of God, we, what we're saying is we walk in a way that says we are free from sin. And we walk in a way that says, I belong to this calling, the calling of glory, the calling of the kingdom of God. Notice here, though, Paul does not tie their salvation to their walk, but instead he ties that the way they walk will be dictated by the fact that they are saved. In short, Paul is saying that God has called you into his kingdom, so act like that's where you're going. Have you ever met somebody who's moving to another country for work? 
if they're moving overseas, they start learning the language. They start trying the culture. They taste the food. They go, they do these things so that when they get there, they're not in complete and utter culture shock. They still deal with culture shock, but maybe they can subdue it some. No matter what we do here, I believe we are going to have a wonderful culture shock when we reach glory. But with that said, on Sunday mornings, on Wednesday nights, like I said earlier, coffee dates and conversations and text messages and whatever other way we communicate, let's remind each other of the reality of glory. Let's remind each other that this is not our home. Let's remind each other to walk in a manner worthy of that calling, to walk in a manner worthy of the kingdom that is our God's. Let's remind each other that Christ came and lived a perfect life, that he died the death that we deserve, but that he rose again and that he ascended to the Father and he's seated at the right hand saying it is finished and that he's coming back again. And let's look forward to that day together, church. As I said at the beginning, the role of every believer in the church, especially, and I'm putting a higher emphasis on this for the pastors, elders, because as it says in James 3, that teachers will be held to a higher accountability. And we, guys, we need you. We need you to hold us accountable today because I don't want to stand before the Lord not having done my job. Hold, hold, hold Tim, Alex, myself, Rick, and Richard accountable. Please. If you're at another church, hold your elders accountable. Please. But it is our duty to lead and to shepherd each other along the path that God has laid out in Scripture. And He is preparing us to be with Him forever. Justin, if you and the team could join us. The kingdom and the glory is not ours, it's the Lord's. Church, we are called to His kingdom, and so let's remind each other. I want what what I wanted to get across today is we are pilgrim. We are all pilgrims on our path, right? We're all going. The believer is going to the celestial city, right? That's where we're headed. We have been secured by the work of Jesus Christ. It's our job as fellow pilgrims to say, Matt, come back to the path. Stay on the path, man. I know it's tough right now, but he's a great savior. Jeff, Paula, he's a great savior. Look forward to that day. He's coming. Let's do that, church. We're not Old Testament priests. We are not living this out on your behalf. We're reminding you to walk with the great high priest. So if you're in here this morning and what you hear is I got to do more for God, that's not what I'm saying. Okay, if that's your first response to this, I actually want to call you to a time of repentance. I want to, because our work, it's impossible to please God without faith. For us to walk in a manner worthy of God, for us to do good in this world, we must start with the reality that we are dead in our sins and in need of a savior. And so if you're in here this morning and you have not repented of your sin and you think, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk out of here and I'm going to do a bunch of good stuff and that's going to get me on the path to God, that's not true. 
And I want to call you to confess your sin and plead Christ's blood for forgiveness. Christ, forgive me of my sin. That's how Pilgrim's Progress starts. Pilgrim's carrying a large burden. He comes to the cross and he finds forgiveness and then he starts the path. That's where we start. If you're in here this morning, and this is going to be a little bit more of a exhortation. It's a gentle rebuke. But if you're in here this morning and you're a believer and you are not seeking to point others to Christ, not seeking to point others to the path, let me call you to repentance too and confess and pray that God would give you the wisdom and the heart and the desire to exhort other believers. That's what we're called to church. And it's a privilege and honor. Let's remember that. Second, or third, excuse me. If you're in here and you've been serving and you're just tired, I know that's many of us at times. We just feel poured out. And I think there's this idea that we, if we, we have to fill ourselves up before we pour ourselves out. But really, what does God tell us in his word? That in my weakness, he is strong. I boast all the more in my weakness because his grace is sufficient. May we pour ourselves out, church, completely empty of ourselves so that Christ would fill us up more with his spirit so we would continue to pour ourselves out for his glory and honor. So if you would please stand, church. If you need ministry this morning, um, Alex, myself, Richard, um, if you came here with someone else, please feel free to pray with them. But if you need prayer, please come and pray with us. We'd love to, to pray with you, but I'll pray for us now. Heavenly Father, thank you for being a God who holds us, who does not leave this up to us, but instead institutes salvation and achieves salvation, accomplishes salvation, and then calls the church to remind each other of that salvation, Lord. I pray that here at Trinity, we would be a church that points each other to the gospel, to the work of Christ, so that we will together one day look at the face of Jesus and saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Father, in all of this, whatever we do, may you receive glory and honor in Jesus' name. Approach the throne of glory. Nothing in my hands I bring but the promise of acceptance from a good and gracious King.
good and gracious king. And he has called us to a kingdom that is unshakable. Let's respond to him this morning, church. Let's commit to follow our Jesus. And part of that is encouraging one another to do the same. Our benediction this morning comes from Hebrews 10, verses 19, starting in verse 19 through 25. And I leave us with this. Because of the confidence of Christ, we come boldly to him. And we gather together to do good works. That's that order. Saying this, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place, places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through the flesh, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of, our, of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as a day drawing near. The day is drawing near, church. Go be blessed.